yes, I'm a huge proponent of everyone being a theologian. Last year, I was sitting across the table from a senior girl I was discipling, and we were trying to draw out some sort of conclusion from scripture. I can't even remember what it was, but she was like, I mean, I'm not a theologian or anything, but, and I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's, let's pause there. Wait a second. And just went on to say that, do you know that you're called to be a theologian? Like, this doesn't mean a scholar, but we want to have an accurate view of, you know, the nature of God and who he is. Somewhat anxious, always authentic. This is Real Life Loading. I'm your host, Shelby Abbott, and our desire with this podcast is to help guide you toward the life-changing power of Jesus for relationships in a constantly shifting culture. We're called Real Life Loading dot, 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 and those three dots at the end of our title describe being in process. We haven't arrived. We're very much in a state of loading, and it's my job to be a trusted friend, to come alongside you and help you walk closely with God in the humor and hardship of life. Well, today, as we turn the corner from Thanksgiving to Christmas time, I'm talking with my friend, Jocelyn Hepler. Jocelyn used to be on staff with the campus ministry of Crew, and we got to spend two summers together on the same team as we staffed the Ocean City, Maryland summer mission. You've heard me talk about this mission before. It's a 10-week spiritual boot camp for college students who learn how to deepen their walks with God and share their faith. And there's a crew staff team who lead the students for the first six weeks of the summer. Summer mission staff teams become kind of like family over the month and a half that they're with one another. And Jocelyn became kind of like a little sister to me as we spent the summers together. She's creative and funny, and she has a deep passion for discipling the next generation into a deeper love for the word of God. Today, we're going to talk about why we should know who God is if we're going to be following him. And consequently, she'll explain the importance of reading and absorbing God's word for yourself. It was so great having this conversation with my friend, Jocelyn Hepler. Joss, what are you listening to right now? Like what kind of either music or podcasts or maybe audiobooks are you listening to right now? I mean... I do love podcasts and always have recommendations. Some go-tos that I would always recommend. I love the Journey Women podcast, Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, Knowing Faith, Jen Wilkins on it, my hero. Jen Wilkin, we've talked about her quite a bit. Yes. Um, so as, as far as books, I am actually just about halfway done with Michael Reeves' What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? The other one that I have started and am not really quite in the middle of, but um, Fix Your Eyes by Amy Gannett. Talks a lot about theology and doxology. And the subtitle is How Our Study of God Shapes Our Worship of Him. So, uh, Very much up your alley, yes. Yeah. All that stuff. I'm not surprised by any of those <laughs> in things. In light of a lot of what we'll... Yeah, what we talk about. That's great. Um, what is the fastest you have ever driven a car? I truthfully do not know how you will answer this question. For real? Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, I was like, you're trying to get me in trouble <laughs> with this one. Because <laughs> you know, no. I'm going to have to send this podcast to my parents. <laughs> uh, I do have a little bit of a lead foot. I okay. thank my dad for that because he also does. 
I would say I've definitely gotten up to 100 miles an hour for sure. You have? Wow. Triple digits. I like to, you know, on the highway where, you know, you're supposed to go fast in case Mm -hmm. anyone needs to be reminded. Uh, (laughs) Supposed to? I do hang out around the 80 mark. That's kind of like my Pretty typically. Just again, a reminder, the, the passing lane is the one on the left. Right. And you're in it when you're going to go faster. I can sense a little bit of hostility <laughs> because you're trying to evangelize me right now in particular. Or maybe well, no, just... I'm just saying, listener, it's anyone under the sound of my voice <laughs> who needs to be aware. Don't it's... abuse the left lane on the highway. Yes. Well, I don't know if I've ever topped 85 miles an hour. I don't know if I've ever gone over 85. I'm just too afraid. That is so interesting because I feel like I in any other situation, you're more of like a a challenger to bold. things. You yeah, know? So I'm a bolt. Yeah, that's I am. so interesting that put us in a car and I'm like, you know what? Get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I'm like, hey, just calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we all we've all got our areas where we like transform into someone else. We've got our areas of whether yeah. it be compromise or just like personality displacement. Maybe the car is one of those for both of us. Yeah. I don't really let out much aggression otherwise. And so I'm thinking maybe, you know, processing through it now, it's just kind of, <laughs> that's my place of right anger. But it does. Maybe it we can both take sin. like kickboxing classes together. And that way we'll be able to get out our aggression there and yeah. we'll just drive. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could. That would be fun. Signing up for a class together. <laughs> I would enjoy doing that. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, speaking of this, you know, your personality, what's what's the one thing people would never guess about you unless they like really knew you super well? Well, the transition, you mentioned kickboxing. The transition to this question is superb because I have a black belt in Taekwondo. (laughs) So, so many people never believe that. Mm -hmm. And I get it because like you're saying, if you know me, you know that I'm pretty non-confrontational I wouldn't really consider myself intimidating and I don't look like a martial artist. Right. And like in my natural state, I'm pretty sedentary. (laughs) So, uh, But yeah, I was just nine years old in a really big karate kid phase watching all the movies and was like, I want a black belt. And so did Taekwondo. How long did it take? Two years. From nine to when? Two years. Okay, wow. So, so you were black belt at the age of 11? <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. Is that allowed? I don't know if it should be because ask me anything <laughs> and I don't know. Like I always yeah. say that and then say, don't try anything out on me. I will just crumple to the ground. So you're not like keeping up with it at all? Oh, no. I only did it to say that I have a to black di- belt. To, to have achieved it, checked off the box yeah. and then go, yeah. So in that sense, like I did exactly what I wanted to do, achieved it and never look back. Even though you haven't kept up with it, you get that honorary title forever. It's kind of like being the president. You're never not going to be the president. So you're never not going to be a black belt. That's pretty it's exactly cool. exactly the same. Yeah. Achieve your dreams in two years, all you nine-year-olds, and then rubber stamp it, throw it on your resume forever. You're a black belt in karate. That's incredible. I didn't know you could keep it like without going back for another test. I I mean, point. if that is true, I don't know about it. So it could okay. have expired. <laughs> I was visiting my family recently and found it in the closet, like the actual yeah. physical black belt. So now 
I have it, you know, to just take a picture whenever anybody doesn't believe. Yeah, you need to like take a picture. Do you have a gi and everything like that? A what? A gi, like a uniform, the gi that you put on? Oh, well, not anymore. I was 11. (laughs) Also, I didn't know what that was. So that shows my professionalism. (laughs) I thought you were talking about gi, like the butter substitute. (laughs) That's what I was talking about, actually. Yes, I was talking about the butter substitute. Yeah. Quick topic transition there. (laughs) Yes, this is a wide-ranging interview. Okay, so Jocelyn, now that we know you're a fast-driving black belt, I wanted to ask you a bit of a more serious question. I've heard you use the phrase several times, we are all theologians. What exactly does that mean? And why should a young person care about theology? Now it's getting real good. <laughs> now it's good. Uh, yeah, we're really getting it's important into the to talk about. Yeah. yeah, there are a handful of things that really make me come alive and make me pound my fist on the table, so to speak. Uh, there aren't really a lot of hills I'll die on, but this is certainly one of them. So, yeah. uh, yes, I'm a huge proponent of everyone being a theologian. And a good and yet simple example I have from this from within ministry is last year I was sitting across the table from a senior girl I was discipling, and we were trying to draw out some sort of conclusion from Scripture. I can't even remember what it was, but she was like, I mean, I'm not a theologian or anything, but, and I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's let's pause there, wait a second, and just went on to say that theology is the study of God and his character, all those things. What is it that we're doing here? (laughs) What are we trying to draw from in this question that we're trying to pursue in God's word? Again, whatever it was. So she was like, oh, okay, I guess you're right. And so that just kind of started, especially with her and with the other girls that I was meeting with this, like, do you know that you're called to be a theologian? Like, it doesn't mean a scholar, but I think somewhere along the line, we've seen theology as something that's only reserved for the pastor or the seminary student or the Christian influencer. Mm-hmm. But for me, with being passionate about this, what goes hand in hand with caring about theology is this passion for biblical literacy. And so I spent a lot of time walking through that with college women as well, and just how to be trained in a framework for how to study the Bible, what to look for, how to read it as one unified story, etc. And I say those things go hand in hand because, yes, we're all theologians and we we want to have an accurate view of who God is and the Bible is our primary means by which to know Him. And so uh, we all have, regardless of who you are, even if you're not a Christian, you have a theology about who God is. If it's just this belief or this study of you know the nature of God and who He is, an atheist has a theology about God. It's just that he doesn't exist. And so with that, you can have a wrong theology, but it's a theology nonetheless. And so that's why, you know, I'm saying in addition to that, this, what have we been given to know who God is and what his character is like? It's his word. And so sure, you know, we can't know God in fullness, especially this side of heaven, and we'll have eternity to figure it out. But if God has given us all things that we need pertaining to life and godliness that second Peter talks about, like we can sufficiently know him for right now. And so 
I'm always, you know, talking to women specifically. There's just something, again, this is another soapbox, but like with women specifically, again, since that's my like lane, so much has been given to women in terms of theology that is just like not good and is just watered down. And there are these quote unquote Bible studies, but it's like, wait, like women can use our brains too. Like we're all called to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And heart is part of that. Emotions are part of that. There is an emotion that we get from studying the word and things like that. But actually engaging our minds, like, what do I think about that? What do I think about this characteristic of God? What is true of him? How does that then impact me? But there's just so much. And I think things have been getting better in terms of like things that are available for women specifically. Jen yeah. Wilkin is one of my yeah. heroes. And there are people who are like her who who are passionate about theology. And yeah, even the course that I go through with college women of biblical literacy, I've had either guy teammates or student guys be like, can you tailor it to be not just for women? And I was like, uh, there's nothing that's specific about it to women now. So yeah, we're all theologians. And the book Fix Your Eyes by Amy Gannett talks so much about how our theology impacts our doxology, which is our worship of God. And so in order, we, you know, we want to have a right worship of God and who he is, but we have to have a accurate theology for that. And so, yeah, it just like impacts everything. It impacts right worship of him. And so um, this is something that I've been talking about for multiple years now. And I opened this book and in like the intro, she talks about how we're all theologians. And I was like, yes. Yeah, so if anybody wants like a good resource on that topic, I'd recommend that book. And now it's time for three dots, three thoughts on real life floating. We'll get back to my time with Jocelyn in just a second. But this is where I share three simple ideas that could potentially change your life. They probably won't, but they could. Thought one. If you love sneakers, but don't have a lot of money to spend on sneakers, I'd say the best white leather sneaker on the market is the Adidas Stan Smith with the green end cap on the top of the heel. Now, there's a huge debate about this online with fashion YouTubers and sneakerheads. And honestly, I'm for sure more of a Nike fan than I am Adidas. But there's just something so beautiful, elegant, and wonderfully minimal about the silhouette and overall feel of the Stan Smith, for men or for women. You can clean them a lot easier than a canvas shoe that's white. And once you break them in a little bit, they'll be super comfortable for everyday wear. Yes, a lot of people have them, but I always give a little nod to someone and look down at their feet with a smile when I see them rocking the drip of the white and green stannies. Thought two. Even if you're broke, which I'm assuming you are because you're young, splurge and buy yourself a Christmas tree. As I think back on the warmest memories I have during the holiday season, a lot of those memories revolve around the ambiance of decorations at Christmas, and nothing has been more powerful and poignant than the peacefulness and charm of a Christmas tree. It doesn't have to be big or flashy or even real. You could buy a fake one if you want. Just get a Christmas tree and feel the joy of this beautiful season as you sit and stare at it every evening. I don't think you'll regret the purchase. 
Thought three. In this busy season, remind yourself of the gospel. It can be so easy to get caught up in the stream of hurry this month leading up to Christmas. But take time every day to remind yourself that you are a person in desperate need of God's grace. Admitting to the Lord that you are weak and in need of Him isn't easy to do, but it's the best posture to be in as a believer. As we've talked about before on Real Life Loading, weakness is a good thing because it highlights the power of God in your life. Confessing that we are in need of Him draws us to the fantastic reality that He has rescued us from our own sin, which leads to death. All of our sin and guilt and filth was placed on God's Son, and all of His purity and beauty and perfection was placed on us when He was executed on the cross and rose from the dead. Christians should always remind themselves of the gospel. And when the busyness of the season distracts us from keeping the main thing the main thing, it's important to remind ourselves of the absolute miracle that is the good news. Today, the best thing you can do is remind yourself of your need for the gospel. This has been Three Dots, Three Thoughts on Real Life Loading. Now let's get back to my conversation with Jocelyn Hepler. Jocelyn, it's really refreshing to hear you talk about this topic, about why a young person should care about theology, because we are all theologians. It's just what type of theologian are you? So let's make sure we're getting it right, studying God through the scriptures and making sure we're understanding what God actually says about himself as opposed to what we're making up about him. I remember one time I was speaking at this conference, and the person who was introducing me I was an acquaintance with them, but I didn't know him very well. And he introduced me and he went through a few things that were on like my bio or whatever that he had looked up. But then he said a few things about me that actually weren't true. He was trying to be nice by saying a couple things about me of like what my spiritual gifting was and what I enjoyed doing. And maybe he got that from like a, a flippant comment that I had made at one point or just a joking thing that I had said. But I remembered in that moment before I was getting up to speak, I'm like, these people are getting a picture of who I am that's not true. And there's dissonance there. That's not actually who I am. And I, I almost wanted to unpack that before I got into my talk. I didn't end up doing that. But I remember that feeling. And that's what reminds me of what you're talking about here. We want to make sure that we get it right when we're studying God, not some fabricated version of what we think God is like based upon things that are not in scripture. Now, that's not to say that experiences aren't valid or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if you're going to be a theologian, study the true God, not the God who you think he is based on other things besides what scripture communicates, right? Yeah, going right to the source instead of receiving it secondhand to your point of, you know, not making God up to be what we want him to be or what we hear is true of him. And with that question of specifically for a young person to care about theology, we're in an age now where there is the Christian influencer and there are really solid people to be listening to out there. Sure. Of course. Yep. But there's a lot who's not. Exactly. So yeah. discernment is a good practice and it's not the one who has the most followers or who is the loudest about something that deserves to be listened to. Yeah. And yeah. so specifically for young people, like, please go 
to the source to understand what is an accurate view of, again, what God blatantly says about himself in scripture. Like there are mysteries that we don't know, but there are things that are very clear. And so what does that look like? And how do I then, when I am hearing influencers and all the other voices, pastors, podcasts, like all that stuff, I can filter it through my own study of God's word. I frequently point to the man that comes to Jesus and is saying, you know, what must I do to gain eternal life or whatever? And Jesus says, well, what is in the law? Like, how do you read it? Mm-hmm. And so it goes on from there to the story of the Good Samaritan. But like that question, of course, classic Jesus answering a question with a question. Right. Yeah. But that is for all of us of like, you are responsible for how you read scripture. I'm supposed to love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, not Jen Wilkins, honestly. Like yeah. she is someone who I look up to or any other pastor or like, pastor, Bible teacher, influencer, whatever, um, they're responsible for how they execute their own study of scripture. And I'm responsible for mine. And so what does that look like? I'm not going to be able to point to, you know, what they taught me ultimately. Like it's, what do I say that the scripture says and what is accurate? Yeah. And we can see the danger in that too, just recently uh, in the last few years of all these influencers or celebrity pastors or whatever, who either have some sort of moral failure or deconstruct their faith publicly or things like that. And then you go, wow, I really trusted this person and reminding ourselves that, oh, I didn't become a Christian because of that person. I became a Christian because of Christ's work in my life, that the Holy Spirit called me to him. And I'm a believer because of Christ, not a believer because of whomever. Um, well, I, that leads well into my next question for you is, what do you think is the most important posture for a follower of Christ to adopt as they study the scriptures? What's kind of paramount for you? I think there's a number of things that could be said, but the first one I think of and that I say often is that the Bible is not a book about you. It's a book about God. And so in light of all the stuff that you're just talking about, theology, like the Bible being the primary means by which we get to know him out of all the ways he's given us the written word for us to have and to study and to really dive into this living and active word. It's about him, you know, like what I said, and regardless of what it is, and that's why I, you know, like to give the people that I'm investing in just a framework for whatever it is that you're studying in scripture. Here's kind of what to look for. And that's the biggest thing that is a book about God. So what does it teach me about him? I'm involved in that because I have been a recipient of salvation, of his pursuit of all those things. And so again, I don't know, just we look to scripture and it's innately in us to say like, where am I in this? Or to read a specific story in scripture, a historical account to be like, well, I'm clearly David and I need to (laughs) slay the giants in my life. And that is very often an application of Mm -hmm. that story specifically. But if I have the lens of the Bible is a book about God, these historical accounts are in and of themselves, their own individual stories. And there are things that I can learn from David. Yes. Do I, should I believe that my God is big enough to do anything for sure? Of course. Should I have that kind of faith? Like Moses, like Abraham, like all these people. Yeah. But if I'm looking at, having a Christ-centered view of scripture, then I'll begin to see that David was someone who 
you know, face this giant, the Israelite army had this impending death coming to them. They weren't doing anything about it. There are these onlookers who are afraid and who would be taken over by this enemy if someone does not intervene. And if someone does intervene and goes and defeats, you're getting hyped about this. I'm getting it. I'm like, you seeing it? Are you seeing it? It's starting to unfold. Yes. Here it comes. If someone does intervene on their behalf, if that person is victorious, then that person's victory, David, in this case, David's victory becomes their victory. Everyone's victory. Yeah. Does that sound like anybody else? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Like I Jesus. am the, I am the, when it, when we're talking about, you know, historical accounts in scripture, it's a better approach to see us as the typical person or the generic kind of onlooker or someone who's probably in the worst position in the story. So yes, have a faith like David. Like I want to, you know, approach things like confession in the way that David did and things like that. But like, he was also very messed up. And like all these people, like Noah, for example, like there's this redemption in the story of Noah and God essentially starting all over. But then Noah ends up drunk and naked in a tent. Like, what? <laughs> like there's this redemption. And so, yes, be like Noah, be someone who's blameless in your generation, who follows after God. Yes. But Noah points us to the fact that there's only one who's able to like fully and actually redeem in perfection. The same is true for, you know, when we get into some more ways to live or, you know, so much of Paul's letters for, you know, Christian living and how is it that we're meant to live in light of what God has done? Even that, you know, that's not a historical account where we put ourselves in the position of a certain person, but like when we're exhorted to do something, I learned again from Jen Wilkin, shout out, like scripture is so much more about who to be instead of what to do. Yeah. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind, be an imitator of God. All of the commands that we do also can't just be, well, how am I going to be better at this and just do better and try harder to really nail this life that I've been called to. It's like, no, even in that, how do I depend on the power of the Holy Spirit who now actually indwells me to do the things that I'm called to do? And so, you know, it just reminds me of, you know, having begun by the Spirit, why are you... Why are you trying to be perfected by the flesh? Yeah. yeah so like, you know, <clears throat> I, I didn't obtain salvation myself. And so I can't maintain it either. Mm -hmm. And so again, like how do I come away from scripture with a more of a reliance on Christ, more of a surrender to what he's done and accomplished on my behalf. And it's just like better. I've like seen it be better to yeah. read and approach scripture in that way. Yeah. It's like when you adopt that kind of posture of that, it, it's not, this is what I need to do on the outside and what boxes I need to check or things I need to say. It becomes this transformation on the inside that goes deep down into the roots of who we are and the people who are closest to us, who we can't fake it around them, go, wow, you're really being changed by this. Because we've all got friends or you know parents or uh, people in our lives who are close to us. They know the truth. You can't fake it all the time with everybody. And we spend so much time as Christians trying to fake it by trying to do or say the right things, but our heart is no different. And this posture that you're talking about, the lens with which we read scripture is so important because it's about whether or not we're being religious 
or we're actually being transformed. And two people's lives, they could be sitting next to one another and their lives morally could look exactly the same. They're doing and saying all the right things, but their hearts can be on two different planets, spiritually speaking. They could be in two totally different places, even though they look very similar. And that's terrifying. That's really, really terrifying because we learn how to fake it really, really well as Christians. We get the lists of stuff. We hear the sermons. We read the things that we're supposed to read. We we listen to the podcast and we go, okay, when I modify my behavior, this is what a Christian is. And that does not lead to life transformation. That does not lead to even an infatuation or worship of God in a healthy, appropriate way that God calls us to in his word. Great perspective. Josh, thanks so much. I love talking to you and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. Jocelyn is such a delightful friend and someone who challenges me to dive into the scriptures with purpose and frequency. We all need friends like that who will inspire us and raise the bar in our lives. I hope my time today with Joss did that for you because honestly, that's what I want this podcast to help you with as you listen each week. If this episode with Jocelyn Hepler was helpful for you, I'd love for you to share today's podcast with a friend. And wherever you get your podcasts, it can really advance what we're doing with Real Life Loading if you'd rate and review us. And it's really easy to find us on our social channels. Just search for Real Life Loading or look for our links in the show notes. I want to thank my producers, Josh, Oh Holy Night, Batson, and Bruce, Mary, Did You Know, Goff. I'm Shelby, Hark the Herald, Angel Sing, Abbott. I'll see you back next time on Real Life Loading. Real Life Loading is a production of Family Life, a crew ministry, helping you pursue the relationships that matter most. And to all a good night. Real life.